good morning, everybody, and welcome to the well at STSA. And I hope that you are excited today because we have a very, very, that last song was perfect. We have a very uplifting, upbeat, positive. Actually, I'm going to need some more lights here. I feel like it's a little dark here. Not for today's message. Other messages can be dark, but today's message needs a little bit more light because I hope that you are pumped up because I'm pumped up for what God is going to speak to us today. Because if you're just joining us, we're in the middle of a series called Build Your Kingdom, where we are talking about building God's kingdom here in Arlington. But for those who are not here in Arlington, wherever it is that you're from, we want to build God's kingdom. And we feel specifically here that God is calling us to build his kingdom through the purchase of a building right behind us here to have as our permanent church building. And you've heard me tell that story several times. And if you haven't, you'll hear it several times before the end of this campaign. We're talking about building God's kingdom wherever it is that we are because we need his kingdom to expand. But before we talk about building his kingdom, let me ask you a question. Let's say you start a new, any new project, any class, any journey, any race, anything hard that you've ever tried to do. What's the hardest part of any journey? What's the hardest part of any project? What's the hardest part of anything which has many, many steps? I'll tell you what I think it is. And a lot of people shout it out the beginning, and some people shout it out the end. I think you're both wrong. Because I think when you start off a new project, there's a lot of excitement. There's a lot of excitement. And there's a lot of, we're going to do this, and we're going to build, and we're going to, all this kind of stuff. How many of us started off college and said, we're going to get straight A's, we're going to set the world on fire, and we're going to, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to. And then when you get to the end, I also don't think that's the hardest part either. Because I think once the end is in sight, the finish line's in place, me and Marianne, my wife, every time we take a walk together, her least favorite part is the end of the walk. Because once I see the house in sight, I'm strolling with my wife. Once I see the house, I start to go 100 miles an hour because I just want to get inside and get back to my couch. The hardest, with my wife, of course, my couch with my wife, okay. The hardest part of any journey is the middle. How many classes did you start that you didn't finish because you stopped in the middle? How many do-it-yourself projects at home, husbands, are pending right now? <laughs> the cabinet halfway off thing, but it's going to get done sometime. How many times did you start a diet or a fitness on January? And you were pumped up for January. And I bet you, if you get to the end, you're pumped up as well. I remember another example when, when we did a few years ago, like we wanted to read the Bible in a year. Bible in a year. January was fantastic. Middle of the year slump. But then once the end came in sight, I was going three or four days at a time because I wanted to catch up and get out of there. The hardest part of any project, I believe, is the middle. But it's in the middle of any project, any race, any class, any whatever, that your true resolve is tested. And we get to find out what we're really made of. Not in the beginning, because beginning enthusiasm. Not at the end, when the finish line is in sight. It's in the middle, where you get to see how bad you really want it. I gave the example of a race. Two years ago, um, I think it was two years ago, yeah, two years ago, I ran a 5K. All right, it was my first time ever doing a race. So whatever group of people wanted to do it, so we said, we'll train together, we'll do this thing, and I trained. And I was set to go, all right? And I, was, I had my strategy, and I knew the pace I should run at, 
And the whole time I'm thinking to myself, as we get on the starting line, I'm telling myself a million times, do not sprint out of the gate. Because I know myself. Okay, and I kept saying, don't sprint, don't sprint, don't sprint. Pace, pace, pace. The second I started the race, what did I do? I sprinted out of the gate. Because there's something very motivational about, I can pass that guy, and I pass that guy, and I can pass that guy, and I pass that guy. And I'm like, I'm making good time here. And I know I'm running much faster than I trained, and I know if I keep this pace up, I'm going to set a world record for myself. But inevitably, I hit the wall. Now, you know what that wall is. Have you ever done a race? 5K is roughly 3.1 miles, something like that. So they have the mile markers. So the first mile, I, I mean, I, I shot out of the cannon, okay? Like I was, boom, and I was passing, and I'm counting all the people that I'm passing. I'm passing, I'm passing. That second mile, okay, you started to lose a little steam, okay? And that third mile hit, and all of a sudden I was like, I'm a cheat. <laughs> and I'm telling you, I honestly contemplated just cheating, cutting through Reston Town Center, something like that. Or if you've seen the episode of the Seinfeld where the guy takes a taxi and ends up. Like I honestly contemplated all those things. Three times in that last mile. First two mile, first mile, can him. Second mile, slow down. Third mile, three times I had to stop and catch my breath. And I stop and I walk like this, but the whole time I'm just eyeing, make sure nobody I know is passing me. Okay? And, if, and nobody did, okay? Because if they did, that would have been an extra shot up. Nobody passed me. Then the finish line was in sight, and then again, I gave it all I got, and I sprinted, and I literally collapsed across the finish line. And I was supposed to find my wife and my kids. And say, Who cares about the wife? Who cares about the kids? I'm just going to lie here until somebody picks me up. The middle part is the hardest part of any race, any long journey. And where are we in the Build Your Kingdom campaign? We're exactly 50% of the way through. We started two weeks ago. We got two weeks more to go after this. And it's at this point in time where I believe what I'm talking about applies specifically to us. But like I said, this applies whatever you're doing in life. Anything that you're trying to do that's hard in life, this applies to. It's where we are right now. Is, what, uh, is what's called the messy middle, the hard middle, where the finish, the starting is out of sight, and that's a long time ago, and the finish is still out of sight, and you're in the middle, and the initial enthusiasm may have worn off, and just like, like lighter fluid on charcoal, okay? Lighter fluid on charcoal, you light it, and, and then the lighter fluid eventually wears off, and then we have to decide where we, how strong are we and how committed are we? Are we going to quit or are we going to stick to it? People have been asking an update. Tell me where you are with this campaign. For those who don't know, we said our goal is we're trying to raise $2 million through this campaign to put as a down payment on that building because we do not feel that God wants us as good stewards to finance the entire building project. We don't feel like that is, is reasonable. and We feel like that's too much strain in our congregation. That's limiting the service. We don't want to do that. We feel like God wants us to put down 50% up front. So that's what we're trying to do. And at the beginning, we worked hard. We kicked butt. We sent out letters. We sent out emails. People on Facebook, people on Twitter, people working. We had that stuffing party, and it was 10,000 people. And people were pumped up. People were pumped up. And I'm not saying that God hasn't been working because God has been working. And God has worked in a, in a logical way. God has worked magnificently. We collected close to I think, a little bit more than $100,000 in two weeks, which by any stretch of the imagination is a ton of money in two weeks. But compared to our goal of $2 million, this past week, I don't think I was alone. When I looked at that goal of $2 million and I said, what the heck are we doing? What are we doing? This is too hard. And just like I said on that 5K, you know what? Let's just quit. Let's just fake an injury. I thought about that, faking an injury. Okay? 
for the run, not for this, but you know what I'm trying to say. Let's just fake an injury. Let's just claim something like we did our part. And many times you start to think that you're crazy when you set out on these goals when you're in the middle. I read a nice quote from a former president named Calvin Coolidge. He said this. He said, nothing in this world can take the place of persistence. Nothing in this world can take the place of persistence. Talent will not. Nothing is more common than unsuccessful men with lots of talents. And that's very true. In every field, talent is not what separates There's a lot of unsuccessful people with talent. Genius will not take the place of persistence. Unrewarded genius is almost a proverb. Education will not. The world is full of educated derelicts. Persistence and determination alone are the overwhelming power. I don't care what it is in life. If you start a new job, start a new school, new career, marriage. Okay, this totally applies to marriage. Something great that you want to do for the kingdom of God. You are going to start off with a lot of enthusiasm. But then your resolve is going to be tested in the middle. And that's what's going to prove truly what you're made out of. Many people start, but the question is, which one has the resolve to persist and get through to the end? What we're going to do today, which is not by accident, okay, this is planned by God. For those who have been kind of following along the past two weeks, we're talking about people from the Bible who built God's kingdom through a physical building. All right, we talked about how Ezra and Nehemiah, that's what we looked at the past two weeks, how the people of God, the Israelites, okay, they were in Jerusalem, and they had a temple. And then, because they disobeyed God, they did not listen to his warnings, he said, if you continue to disobey me, and you continue to act like the people that you live around, and the rest of the countries, and you don't obey my laws, but you try to fit into the culture, you're going to lose your place, and you're going to lose your country, and your city, and you're going to lose your temple. They ignored, they got captured by the bad guys. The bad guys took them to a place called Babylon, all right? And while they were there, they burned and destroyed the temple. Seventy years later, okay, so three generations later, God said, I want to rebuild my temple. And God worked in the heart of Cyrus the king, who was a pagan, a non-believer. And he said, Cyrus said, we need to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. For no reason, I don't know why he said it, he said it. So a group of people led by Zerubbabel go back and start to rebuild the temple. And then they start to have success, and then they have problems, then they get shipped back. Thirty years later, I think, or 25 years later, another group goes back. Take two, led by Ezra, to rebuild the temple. They succeed in rebuilding the temple, but what they do not succeed is in rebuilding the city, specifically the walls of the city, which are burned down, so you can't have a city functioning without the walls. So Act 3, Nehemiah comes along and says, we're going to rebuild this city. And Nehemiah, like we saw last week, his first act of building was prayer. All he did was pray. And Nehemiah prayed like a champ, and we talked about that last week, how Nehemiah prayed and prayed and prayed. What we're going to talk about now is after Nehemiah prayed, he started building. And exactly halfway through that project, not by accident, we're talking about it today. Exactly halfway through that project, Nehemiah faced opposition. And we're going to see what Nehemiah did and what any kingdom builder does when faced with opposition and discouragement in building God's kingdom. We're going to pick up the story in Nehemiah chapter 4, all right? We're going to read several verses. We'll go through kind of quickly um, just to kind of get the overview, and then we'll break it down. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 1. So it happened when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, that he was furious and very indignant and mocked the Jews. So Sanballat is this bad guy 
who didn't want them to rebuild it, he heard about it, and he was furious, and he goes to make fun of them, and he goes back to fourth grade, okay, because watch what Sambalat does, okay. And he spoke before his brethren, the army of Samaria, and said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Can't you picture a fourth grade saying this? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish stones that are burned? He starts name-calling. And what are you going to do? You're going to rebuild the temple? Ooh. And you're really going to finish this temple in a day? Ooh. No one said they're going to finish it in a day, but he's like, you're going to finish it in a day? Ooh. And then watch the next verse. He picks up a friend from his fourth-grade buddies. Now Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, Whatever they build, if even a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. So again, fourth grade, this is like the big, like the bruiser guy is like, ew, ew. And he's like, I bet you even a fox would break down their wall. And they're insulting them. And they're ridiculing them. And they're ridiculing not only them, but their God. Why? Because anytime you go to build the kingdom of God, you must expect haters. Okay? There's a biblical uh, example of haters. People who are just opposing anything because they want to. You try to do something good in your life, you got to expect opposition. Story goes on. Nehemiah, all about prayers. Nehemiah responds like a reflex. Like a reflex. Look what Nehemiah does. This is the next verse. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn their reproach on their heads and give them as plunder to a land of captivity. Do not cover their iniquity and do not let their sin be blotted out before you. For they have provoked you to anger before the builders. Nehemiah didn't flinch. His instantaneous, you hit him on the elbow, he prayed. That was his reflex. They made fun of us, he went straight to prayer. All right, that didn't stop. So we built the wall, and the entire wall was joined up, were joined together up to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. So the wall is now complete around the city, but it's only halfway high. Okay, so they're exactly halfway done the project, and it's, it's halfway up, but they have to build the rest of it. Now, because Nehemiah didn't flinch at the original opposition, the opposition gets weaker or stronger? Stronger. Verse 7. Now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were beginning to close, that they became very angry. And all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. Why are they so angry? Why are they so angry? Because they know they're going to succeed. They know they're going to succeed. And your enemy is number one thing that af makes him afraid is your success. And they knew that. So instead of saying we're afraid, what they did is they came with ridicule. And that's what people do all around us, by the way. It's not just back then in the Bible. But now it went from individual fourth grade ridicule to a conspiracy. And they gathered together and said, started to threaten them, and we're going to take them down. Nehemiah, how does Nehemiah respond to threats? Prayer, instantaneous. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to God, and because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. Then Judah said, the strength of the laborers is, fail is failing, and there is so much rubbish that we are not able to build the wall. They ridiculed, he prayed. They conspired, he prayed, but it started to affect him. Starts to affect the people. What do the people say here in this verse, in verse 10? What, what sentiment are you getting here from the people? The people are motivated, excited, let's do it. Let's leave Babylon and let's go build that wall. People say what we're saying. It's like, come on, man. Like, we're tired. 
this is hard. There's such a big task in front of us. There's so much rubbish, and we can't build the wall. What happened? A chink in the armor, a little discouragement. And once the devil sees that little discouragement, then you're, then you're easy pickings for him. And our adversary said, verse 11, they will neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. So it was when the Jews who dwelt near them came that they told us ten times, from whatever place you turn, they will be upon us. What happened? Motivated, on fire, we can do this, build God's kingdom. We're tired. We can't, it's too much. And then all of a sudden, look what happens right here. They threaten them, and then look at the last verse. So it was when the Jews who came near dwelt, I'm sorry, so it was when the Jews who dwelt near them came, they told us ten times. You know the worst thing? is not that they're discouraged. It's not that they're tired. It's not that they're not sure they're lacking in faith. But all these feelings, what are they doing with those feelings? They are repeating them over and over and over. Ten times. If I came to you and told you ten times, we can't do this, we can't do this, we can't do this, we can't do this. Like once enough, twice, three, ten times. Of course, by the end of ten times, Everyone's going to believe it. A wise man, I should not say wise man, a bad man once said, but he said something wise. He said, if you tell a lie long enough, people will believe it as truth. You know who said that? Anyone know who said that? It's a famous quote, but you know who said it. Not Adolf Hitler, but Adolf Hitler's minister of propaganda. He actually had a position in, in Nazi Germany called the minister of propaganda. And that's the guy who said it. his name was Gables, something, Paul Joseph Gables. If you tell a lie long enough, people are going to start to believe it. And that's exactly what happened right here. The bottom line here is the devil, his number one tactic, his number one tool, his number one objective, his number one whatever, where the devil wants to get you is to a state of discouragement about whatever. Discouraged about your marriage. Discouraged about your service. Discouraged about your friendships. Discouraged about your own spiritual life, your own ability to overcome whatever sin. He wants to get us discouraged. Because he knows that once the door of discouragement is open, he have his way with us. Discouragement, once the door is open, a discouraged soldier is an ineffective soldier. A discouraged builder is an ineffective builder. And the devil's number one objective is to get us to that place. Now we're going to see this is where the people are. And this is where, if we're honest, a lot of us are in whatever task God is putting in front of us. How does a kingdom builder respond in the face of discouragement? We're going to see four things that Nehemiah does in this chapter alone. And we're going to learn from his example. And hopefully, we're going to pump ourselves up. First thing, who can guess what is the first thing Nehemiah does? Nehemiah, number one, return to prayer. I'm not going to talk about this very long, just a minute, because we talked about this all last week. Because Nehemiah. You hit him on this side, he prayed. You hit him on that side, he prayed. You poured something on his head, he prayed. But the guy, anywhere he went, his natural response was to pray. That's why I wrote, return to prayer, not start praying. You do not start praying when discouragement comes. Because if prayer is not a place that you are accustomed to going, when you are weak, you're not going to be able to find it. Like, when the, fire, when the fire hits, you need to know where that fire extinguisher is. And you need to have a, a, like a, a, a comfort level in going to that place. So you may not be discouraged right now. You may be okay now, but if you're not praying, the discouragement is going to come. And if you don't know how to get to that prayer room, you're in trouble. 
Nehemiah did not start praying. Nehemiah returned to prayer. All right, and that was that verse that we saw in the beginning where it said, Hear, O our God, for we are despised, and turn their own reproach on their own heads. What I love, okay, that we saw in, in, in this passage when Nehemiah prayed, is before he would have said, My and I. And here it said, Our and we. Why? Because what you see in this chapter is his individual prayer in the beginning. Please, God, please, God, please, God, help this situation. Turned into a corporate prayer, and people prayed together. How? Because when there's a man of God who's praying, it becomes contagious with all the people around. And now all the people were praying. The reason why they were praying is because they knew that this discouragement was not a physical warfare. This was spiritual warfare. So a smart person you cannot fight spiritual warfare with earthly weapons. You cannot fight a, a, a battle in an unseen and invisible realm with visible tools. You fight fire with fire. So if this is spiritual warfare, and this is from the enemy, then we have to use the weapons that can combat in that invisible warfare, which number one, first and foremost, is our prayer. Number two, he didn't just pray, but he, after he returned to prayer, he revised the plan. He revised the plan. He came back with plan B. So he built on that plan. We saw that in the beginning where it said that, that they were building. Okay, and while they were building, he set up people to watch. And he explains further in the next verse here in verse 13. After they, he was discouraged in verse 12, verse 13. Therefore, I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings, and I set the people according to their own families and their, with their swords, their spears, and their bows. What happened? They're building this wall, and the people are threatening them. So the people ran, and they said, we can't build because we're at risk. So he said, you know what we're going to do? Are we going to stop building? No, we will never stop building. We will build, and while you're building, with your right hand you have a hammer, and your left hand you have a spear. And while you all are building, there's going to be someone who watches guard over you. Because we cannot stop the building project because we're scared of their threats. So what we're going to do is we're going to revise the plan. Why this is important? Because he didn't just pray and then do nothing. He didn't just pray and say, God, protect us. They're threatening us. God, protect us. And then arrow right in the head. He didn't just pray and do nothing. He prayed and did his part. And he trusted God to do his part, but he himself did his part. Everything in life is the God part and a me part. That's why when Jesus talked to us about spiritual warfare, he said you have to do two things as the end comes. You must blank and blank. Blank and pray. What was the first blank? Watch and pray. Watch and pray. Not just pray, but watch. Keep watch. Keep vigilant. Do your part. Said another way. It's nice to sit in your bedroom at night and say, God, please protect us from the thieves. That's very nice. But you know what's also nice? To go downstairs and lock the door. You do both. Nehemiah prayed to God to deliver us, and then he got his troops with weapons. So when the bad guy came, they fought the bad guy. And he goes on right here in verse 16. So it was from that time on that half of my servants worked at construction, while the other half held the spears, the spears, the shields, the bows, and wore armor. Those who built on the wall and those who carried burdens loaded themselves so that with one hand, I love this visual, with one hand they worked at construction, with the other hand they held a weapon. Every one of the builders had a sword girded at his side as he built, and the one who sounded the trumpet was beside me. Nehemiah knew 
He didn't have enough troops to have an army and then builders. The only way this is going to work is the builders are the army because they're neither professional builders nor are they professional army. So the only way this is going to work is each one's going to do both. And what we're going to do is I got a guy with a trumpet next to me, and if there's trouble at the south gate, we're going to blow the trumpet, and everyone from all the parts of the wall are going to come, and we're going to fight the bad guys here. So we're going to go back, and if there's trouble over there, we're going to blow the trumpet over there. And we're going to get this thing done with a spear in one hand and a hammer in the other one. Here's the principle of life for all of life. Never forget this principle. It applies to everything in life, especially building God's kingdom. The principle is this. If you want to be a kingdom builder, you must learn to battle and build at the same time. Kingdom builders must battle and build at the same time. It is not either or. It is and. You want to do anything great, like I said, in your marriage, in your career, personal goals, whatever it may be. You must expect when you want to do something great, when you want to build something for God, people are going to shoot you down. You're going to try to do something great, your boss is going to come tell you, I need you extra hours this week. 100%. The minute you say I'm going to do something great, boss is going to say 100, 100%, I need you extra hours this week. You are going to find spiritual warfare from the least likely source. Family members. Friends. People you thought were friends. Random circumstances. You must expect. You want to do something great for God, there must be. You cannot build for God's kingdom and expect the enemy, the devil, to sit by idly. The devil has to do something. He's got to throw errors at you. So what are you going to do when you are attacked? What's your plan? Stop building? Many kingdom builders had many good intentions. But they stopped because they didn't know how to battle and build at the same time. What do I mean specifically? Look, here I am standing up here on this stage in front of you. Hopefully, I'm doing something good for the kingdom of God. Hopefully. Hopefully, my words somehow build the kingdom of God. You think there's one Sunday that goes by that I don't have 10,000 thoughts in my head telling me that I shouldn't come up here and stand here? You think there's one Sunday that goes by where I don't think to myself, what in the world are you doing? With the, with the problems you got and with the sins you got, are you going to go up there and preach, 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 preach? You're going to do more harm than good. You don't think I have 10,000 of those thoughts in my head every single Sunday before I stand up here? You think there's one Sunday that goes by and say, you know what? I'm, I'm in good shape this Sunday. I got this thing figured out. I'm good at Christianity. Watch people learn how great I am. You think there's one Sunday that happens? What's going to happen if I sit by and say, you know what? I can't build today. I got to just fight. There's too much enemies. I got to just fight. I can't build today. Who wins? Who wins? The devil wins. The opposition wins. There's no such thing as when I get myself together, then I start building. There's no such thing. We agreed in the very beginning, the first week, that in order to be a good member of the kingdom of heaven, we have to be citizens, law-abiding, and ambassadors. The two go hand-to-hand. -hand. You can't be one without the other. Because if you're not a good citizen, you're obviously not a good ambassador. And if you're not a good ambassador, then you're disobeying your civic duty. Heavenly civic duty. You know what I mean. Okay? So we are always called to build and to battle at the same time. And the two are not working against one another. The two have to be working together. I love this verse. Matthew eleven twelve. 12. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. That's a cool verse. Because this says you want the kingdom? You want the kingdom? You think you are going to lollygag your way into the kingdom? You know what lollygag means? Lollygag is the best word. I learned it the first day I ever played football in my life. My coach said the word lollygag. 
And I was so happy my kids started flag football yesterday. His coach said, no lollygagging. Like, I was so happy. That's the best word. You know what lollygag means? Lollygag means when the coach says, come here. And you, you know what I mean? Uh, lollygag. You know lollygagging in football? And there's no lollygagging in the kingdom of heaven. There's no lollygagging. We're building. We're fighting a spiritual warfare. We're trying to build something great. No, we're attacking enemy forces. You'll lollygag on the front lines in Guantanamo Bay in front of the, uh, the bad guys in the Middle East. You'll lollygag. Man, you, 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 if you got a mission, you got your gun and you got your mission papers in front of you. And you, got, you never let go of either one of those things. And we are on a spiritual warfare here. We're on the front lines. Yes, we are building, but we are battling and building at the same time. And the two are not against one another. And we, as the children of God, can never, ever, ever say, I'm going to fix this, and then I'm going to do this. Or once I get, no, we build the kingdom of God in whatever state that we are in. Applied specifically to this campaign. Easy thing for me to say, spiritual warfare, this is hard. Maybe now is not the best time. I thought that. Okay, I'm being honest. I'm, I'm being honest. That's not the best time. Now's not the best time to do this building thing. Like, now's not the best time. I'm busy. People are busy. Now's not the best time. Like, let's, let's, let's look at this later. Now, now we're distracted. We're discouraged. We're tired. Like, now's not, let's, let's just put it on hold for a little bit. Now's not the best time? God said now's the best time. You're going to tell God now's not the best time? God moved heaven and earth to put that building in our laps. God moved heaven and earth to solve the county and to solve the structural engineer and the other buyer and then all this kinds of stuff that God made it clear that now is the time we're going to say, uh, come back in a few months. Excuse me? What do you mean now is not the right time? God said now is the time. And now we, his servants, we will build. And yes, we say the opposition is great, so we will hold a gun in our hand. And the opposition is more strong, we hold two guns in our hand. As many guns as we can put in our hand, how many churches would tell you to put guns in your hand? That's why this is a great place. We preach love and kindness to all. Okay. Now it's time to fight. No lollygagging in the kingdom of heaven. No lollygagging. And you know why there's no lollygagging? And you know why we will fight? And you know why we will battle? Because I'm going to do right now what Nehemiah did, number three. Nehemiah, the third thing he did is he remembered the promise. He remembered the promise. He returned to prayer. He revised the plan, battle and build. And then he looked up and said, remember the promise. <clears throat> you know, in uh, many wars or battles or historical events, there's like a catchphrase. Like, remember the Alamo, right? Like, remember the Alamo. That was their phrase. Or Pearl Harbor, you know, or 9-11. Or we will never forget. Right? And these are rallying cries to do something. Well, Nehemiah had a little rallying cry as well. Verse 15. I'm sorry, verse 14. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the leaders and to all the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord. Great and awesome. And fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, and wives, and your houses. Remember the Lord. This was his rallying cry. Y'all are discouraged? Remember the Lord. Great and awesome. Remember what God promised us. Remember who it is who's making that promise. Remember that we're not building this kingdom because we want it. We're not building it because we thought it would be a fun thing. We're here because we were here and we were content. And then God himself called us and said, go build this kingdom. And God moved Cyrus. And God moved the king Artaxerxes. And God moved and God moved and God moved. Remember the promise. Remember that we're not doing this because we want to do it. Remember that we are doing this because God called us to do it. 
You know why Nehemiah's cried? His slogan is better than uh, remember the Alamo or the Pearl Harbor 9-11. Those are all our human slogans are past-oriented. Okay? We say remember in a past way. Remember this defeat, let's get them. But that's not how God's promises are. That's not how God's slogans are. God's slogan is forward-thinking. He says, remember that God said we're going to have victory. We know we're going to have victory. That's the cool thing about God. You know the end before you know the middle. You know the end before you know the middle. You know what God promised us. And God promised he's going to take us back to our land. And God promised he's going to take us back to that temple. And God promised us that he's going to give us that building. He made it clear to us. He didn't give that to us. Remember the promise. And remember it is who it is that made that promise. And in case you don't remember the promise, I'll remind you of it right here. You just happen to have it up on the screen. This is our promise. And I've talked about this before, but I'll just remind you of this promise. A, a specific promise that God gave to us as a church family. And if you don't, haven't heard that story, come find me afterwards. But make sure you have a good half hour to listen because i tell you the whole story. Okay? Actually, no, you can actually go to our website and hear me tell that story in a seven, eight minutes version of it. All right? Go to One Brick Arlington or, and you'll find it right there. This is the promise. Second Chronicles 7.12. I have heard your prayer and I have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. A promise God gave when, we, when I was standing right outside that building, and God gave it very specifically. I have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to prayer made in this place. For now I have chosen and sanctified this house, that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. You know what I noticed in life? You can't focus on two things at the same time. At least men, we can't. Maybe women can somehow think of two things at the same time, okay? But even then... Well, that's okay. Let me just leave it. <laughs> Let me just leave. Okay. You choose what you're going to focus on. You can't focus on God's promise and discouragement at the same time. I promise you, you can't. And anytime you focus on discourage, you've forgotten the promise. And then when your eyes are on that promise, you can't be discouraged. I can't look. I told you. I told you all this last week. And many times I look at it. It's too big. Then I go to my promise. And I say, God's got this. Because I got a big God. I got a big problem, but I got a bigger God. I got a big opposition, but I got a bigger God. I have a scary opposition, but man, I got an awesome and great God who fulfills every single letter that he has ever promised. And you find me one person to tell me that God has ever promised them and fallen short on what he promised. Our God, when he says something, write it down. Take it to the house. And this, by the way, this is not even accounting for what I told y'all last week about my personal specific promise that God gave me on December 31st, my promise for 2014, okay, my individual one from Isaiah 45 and Cyrus and all that stuff. I told the story last week. But what I'm saying is, let us remember God's promise. Fear, promise. Anxiety, promise. Shame, guilt, uh, stress, whatever it is, one promise of God you choose what to focus on. We return to prayer. When we're discouraged, we turn to prayer. We return, I'm sorry, not turn. We return to prayer. We go back to where we came from. We revise the plan. We say, hey, you know what? We need to update the plan. We didn't think it was going to be this hard. We need to work a little bit harder in this way. Why? Because we remember the promise. And then once we've done those first three, number four is easy. We refuse to quit. Another way. We persist. We refuse to quit. We persist. Why I put persist there? Because if you notice, I had a cool RP thing going on in the handout. Did you notice that? They all began with R, ended with P. 
Did you guys appreciate that? I work very hard on that. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. We refuse to quit. We refuse to quit because, as the title of your handout says, when the going gets tough, tough get going. Man, we are not strong because we are strong when times are easy. That doesn't make you strong. You're not a, 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 a brave person because you fight when there's no opposition. You're not strong in faith because you, because you take steps when everything is easy. That's not what makes us strong. That's not what builds our faith. But sometimes they're tough. Let's tough get going. Watch what it says here in verse 15. After Nehemiah did those first three, verse 15, and it happened. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had brought their plot to nothing, that, say this with me, that, say it with me, that, one more time, that, all of us returned to the wall, everyone to his work. All of us, not one person left behind, not one person quit, not one person was, was, was stuck in the discouragement that they prayed, they revised the plan. And they refused to quit. Later on, when, uh, go fast forward a few chapters, and you see that once again, Nehemiah is facing, like, distractions. Right, Nehemiah chapter 6, a group of people come, and they try to get him to stop building the wall. And they say, hey, you guys are doing really good. Hey, come, let's have some coffee together. Like, let's just come sit for a little bit. And they were trying to distract them, trying to, like, trick them into stopping the wall. And Nehemiah says this, Nehemiah 6.3. This is a great verse. This is a verse that you need to put up on your wall, right, with whatever it is that you're doing. It says this. It says, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? Nehemiah says, look, you're inviting me to come have coffee? What you talking about coffee, man? I'm building the wall of God. You tell me to quit? Don't you know I'm doing a great work right here? Get away from me. Said another way, I'll quote two things, and you try to figure out where they came from. Two wise men in a movie a long, long time ago said, we are on a mission from God. Y'all know what movie that was? I showed how old you are, okay? That's a black and white movie, all right? Which they eventually made in the car. We are on a mission from God. And forget about what that movie was because it probably wasn't the most wholesome movie. But we really are on a mission from God. And nothing can stop us because we are on a mission from God. Or said another way, one of the things that I wanted to make the slogan for this campaign, but I was told, I was advised by everyone, do not make this the slogan, the campaign slogan. I wanted to say, we can't stop and we won't stop. I want to make that our theme song, but apparently it's not talking about building God's kingdom, okay? I, I, I'm not really sure what it's about, but I was told not to repeat it again. But that's okay, because we are doing a great work right here. And I don't care what the song says. I don't care what it's all about. I know that we can't stop and we won't stop, okay? And we'll just leave it at that. I want to tell you guys a story. I want to wrap up with this story. And I want to tell you why I'm speaking so passionately. Because you know who I'm speaking to today? I'm speaking to myself. Can I tell y'all a little story? Y'all got a few minutes? This past week, like I said, we had a little discouragement in the campaign. God is working mightily. Okay, and like I said, we collected and people are sending and it's going great. Not quite as fast as we had hoped. Okay, but that's okay. God is working. But then something happened, which something happened. We sent out that mailer, okay, and then we had like a, a business reply envelope that people are supposed to send it back in. And when you have a business reply envelope, you can see online every time someone sends a piece of mail to you. 
So you put in that business reply mail, and it charges our account. So it says this day, five pieces of mail. This day, six pieces of mail. Then you wait a couple days, and it shows up in your mailbox. Well, we found out on the first day, okay, on the first day that the mailbox got set up, 25 pieces of mail had come in. We were so excited. So I drove to the mailbox, nothing there. It's okay. Next day, nothing there. Third day, fourth day, fifth day. Long story short, after spending countless hours with the United States Postal Service, they've lost 25 pieces of mail. And it's been a week. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And if I tell you the number of hours spent discussing with the very, I'll keep my mouth shut, okay, with the, the employees, okay, and the hierarchy here in Arlington, as well as the central office in Merrifield, as well as God knows who it is we're talking to on the phone, wherever they exist, and all the hours and all the time that we've invested, not just me, but other people, and all the frustration, you wouldn't believe me. That's slightly discouraging. <laughs> That's slightly discouraging. Now look, let me just kind of address this real quick, okay? We haven't found those letters. It's been a week. We don't know what's going to happen with them. I'm hoping that they turn up because I'm hoping that they're just under someone's, like, like the seat of some guy's car, okay, or they got put in the wrong mailbox and they sent out and then the good people would send them back. I don't know what's going to happen. If we really truly did lose those, we have a plan. We thought about how we're going to notify people and we're going to announce to people that if you sent a check and it didn't get, you know, deposited, our apologies, whatever, whatever. What, like we have all that stuff figured out. Don't, don't come give me advice about that. I don't want to talk about that anymore. That drives me crazy, okay? But I want to tell you this, that at first when that happened, I was highly discouraged. I was highly discouraged because you work your tail off and, 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 and. Okay, and then here's 25 checks. I'm telling you, the average of those checks that we've been getting, people are very, very, very generous. Very generous. Like 25 checks is, is probably, we've probably gotten another 25 since then. But the 25, like that's a lot. It's discouraging. But I'm convinced now that I got myself back in my right set. See, even we get, dis I mean, I get discouraged. Okay, don't think that I don't get discouraged too. I'm 100% convinced. Exactly like this process. Turn it to prayer. Say, okay, we need to do this. And now that we this, and we do this, and we check that mailbox every single day, multiple times a day, by the way, now. Okay? Multiple times a day. And they hate us over at the post office. We walk in, I walk in, and they all hide. Okay? <laughs> they go the opposite direction. I'm not joking. Okay? We revise the plan. Let's remember the promise. God, you promised that. Did you know that the post office... You know, is, is runs the way it does, God? <laughs> Did you? God's like, yeah, I knew. Like, again, with all due respect, God, could you have stopped those letters if you wanted? Yeah. Could you bring them back if you wanted? Yeah. Okay. Is the promise still good, God? God, are you canceling your promise because of the, the post office situation? Did that stop? God says, no way, Jose. God says, no way. Not in a million years. Not in a million years will anything that happens on this earth stop my promise, which is made in the heavens. All right, God, let's go. Anyone want to quit? I give you right now a chance. Anyone want to quit? Anyone want to back out? Anyone want to say it's too hard? Anyone want to say we're discouraged? Anyone? Anyone? Well, we're going to do what Nehemiah did. I'll give you a verse in Nehemiah chapter 2. We are going to say, the God of heaven himself 
will prosper us. Therefore, we, his servants, will arise and build. The God of heaven himself will prosper us. We're not hoping in the post office. We're not hoping in, 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 in even the person who finds the mail. We're not even worrying those mails. Who cares about 25 envelopes from wherever it may be? The God of heaven has promised us that he will build his kingdom. We will arise and build. Because like we said in the very beginning of this campaign, if this thing doesn't work, it will not be because we didn't work our tail off. If, we, if, if, if God decides to shift plan, whatever God wants, but it will not be because we got discouraged. It will not be because we didn't do our best. It will not be because we didn't try our hardest. We didn't give our hardest. We didn't contact people. We didn't give people a chance to build God's kingdom. We, his servants, will arise and build. Amen? What I want to do is bring our music team back up here. Okay, because there's only one way to finish this message. Okay, we need our music team to come back up here. We're going to sing our theme song. And the music team hates my guts right now because I sprung this up at the last minute. I said, hey, by the way, let's sing this song at the very end. And I gave them no notice for this. Okay, so they hate my guts, but that's okay. They're going to sing this nice song. And what I want you to keep in mind as we sing this song is that God has made to us a promise that he's going to, yeah, yeah, okay, chop, chop. God has made to us a promise that he's going to build his kingdom. This thing is much bigger than me and you. This thing is bigger than envelopes. This thing is bigger than the post office or Maryfield or any of that kinds of stuff. This, what we're talking about right here is a promise given to us from the heavens. And then we get to act it out here on this earth. Let's stand up together. Let's close our eyes. Let's put our, remind ourselves of that promise. And we can sing a nice song here together. But before we sing, like I said, let's close our eyes. Look at this verse one more time. It says, the God of heaven himself will prosper us. Therefore, we, his servants, will arise and build. Take 10 seconds, 20 seconds, close your eyes and say, God, I want to build your kingdom. I will not be discouraged. I will not stop building your kingdom. Like I said, this applies in Arlington. This applies wherever you are. It applies in your marriage, in your friendships, whatever it is. It's God's kingdom. But we will not be discouraged, God, because we have a mission from you.
God, amen. Lord, we love you with all of our hearts. We thank you, Lord, that you've given us a chance to really do something great in this world, not just to live and die and have nothing to show for it, but really to build your kingdom. And we're not approaching this as a building or money or fundraising or envelopes or anything like that. Lord, we want to do something great for your name, everything you've done for us, Lord. We want to build your kingdom, and, and we want if we don't, we want to die trying, Lord. We want our whole life to be dedicated to doing something great for you. Lord, you said that whoever confesses me before men, him I will confess before my Father in heaven. Lord, we're waiting that one day that you invite us into the home that you built for us, and you say, well done, good and faithful servant, that you were faithful on this earth, and you sought to build my kingdom. So come enter into the kingdom that I have prepared for you. Lord, encourage all the hearts that may be down or discouraged in whatever capacity, Lord. Build your kingdom here, Lord. Build your kingdom here in Arlington. Build your kingdom all over the world. And let us to see your glory. And let, let the end of this story, which we know what it's going to be, but let the end of the story be that God did a great work here. And God built his kingdom. And we had a small share and a small part of that. Accept our prayers this day in the name of your only begotten Son, our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ, and with the prayers of all your saints. Here's Lord, as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you all very much. Have a great week, and see you all next week.